What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hey everyone, welcome to the Bustle Huddle. I am so jazzed to have Emma Lord, our resident food editor at Bustle, here to talk all things food. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Of course, of course. So for our listeners who aren't familiar with the great Emma Lord, what do you do here? OMG, the great Emma Lord. Um, I write food, tech, uh, any kind of like wonky viral news, but it's a lot of food. It's mostly food. <laughs> Your desk is super, super fun. It is. It's just chock full of like candy and wine and just like every weird snack you can possibly imagine. It's literally a party. <laughs> so we started this new tradition this season where we have our co-hosts play the 30-second intro game. And since you are a resident foodie, we thought it would be fun for you to do a 30-second freestyle on the foods that are your jam outside of the office. Yeah, yeah. I, I could give you my whole uh, weekend food itinerary. I think I can fit it into 30 seconds. Let's okay. do it. Go. Okay, the first thing I eat is every Saturday breakfast, I have a sourdough roll that I toast Jarlsberg cheese on. It's like my one very fancy thing. And then I have two kind of runny fried eggs with it. And sometimes if I'm feeling very fancy, I'll go and get some bacon as well with tea. And then I'll walk down to Sprinkles later and have for lunch, I'll get a chocolate chip peanut butter cupcake. And then if I, again, if I'm feeling quite fancy, I will, I will seamless sushi. Once a week, I let myself seamless sushi. Um, and it's usually uh, a peanut avocado roll is somehow involved. I legit have to eat like Emma on a weekend. You're going to have to like write that down for me and email me so I can like live my best life. I'm honored. I know that there's a certain food that you're known to love around these parts. Oh, a certain food? (laughs) In case I haven't talked everybody's ear off about it here at at bustle.com, I am a little bit obsessed with eggs, just a smidge. I may have bullied everyone in this on our office floor into buying an egg cooker because it cooks eggs in like six different ways um and that's all i want with my life is to just cook eggs in every way that you can possibly cook and eat an egg (laughs) and since you're super excited about eggs we thought that it would be a great idea to have you on this episode which is being sponsored by vital farms producer of pasture-raised bullshit-free eggs and I'm so glad that you're here to talk about it. Yeah, I feel like I've really made it right now. Like, I've, I've talked about eggs so much that I've made it to this podcast. This is the moment. This is your moment. <laughs> this is your now. At last. And it's awesome that you've actually tried Vital Farms eggs and you think that they're delicious. Oh, my God, they are. And I'm, like, not a person who would generally be like, oh, I can tell the difference between this egg and this other egg. But they are extremely, like, I don't know if you can call an egg rich, but, like, it was Ooh. very rich and very satisfying. In the spirit of Vital Farms and their commitment to no BS, we wanted to make this episode about educating consumers. So we're going to teach you all the ways to avoid the tricky labels and deceitful ads that are all around us. And here to educate us are food industry experts, Rachel Dreskin, Executive Director of Compassion and World Farming, and Bonnie Patton, Executive Director of Truth in Advertising. Stay tuned for those interviews, but first, I can't help but ask you another egg question while I've got you in the studio. I'm a total scrambled eggs with cheese kind of girl, 
But Emma, Lord of Eggs, how do you like your eggs? Uh, I love a fried egg. I like them scrambled. I like them hard-boiled. I, I love them medium-boiled. And I feel like the film industry really got into that last year between Shape of Water and Call Me By Your Name. Like, mm-hmm. this is like an advent of the egg. Like, we are, we, here we are, folks. This what is, a time. What a time to be young and alive and obsessed with eggs. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. And since today's episode is all about us becoming smart food consumers, Are there any factors that go into Emma's Saturday eggs purchase? Uh, I have to admit, there really aren't. I generally just, like, go to the grocery store and I'm like, here are some eggs and they're not broken. And then I put them in my cart and go. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. So we took to the floor to ask our editors what they think about when they buy eggs. Make sure they're not cracked. (laughs) All eggs are the same, so I probably would consider, yeah, lower price. I pay attention to the price, and I uh, oh, I also try to get the ones that are brown because those seem like they'd be healthier. I buy into the whole free-range thing, but I sometimes see free-range and cage-free, and I wonder what the difference is. I've been searching for, like, brown eggs lately. I'm trying to make that a thing. I heard that that, you know, was the healthier option for you. Yeah, I don't really pay too much attention to the labels, although I usually, like, brown eggs over white eggs. They just seem healthier. Fresher, more organic. I'm not sure if that's a real thing. But. And then I usually reach to the back, check them all, make sure they're all in, in good order, and then that's it. So am I supposed to care about the whole brown egg versus white egg debate? So doing my research and learning about all things eggs for this particular podcast, I've learned that there really is no difference between the nutritional value that you'll get from brown eggs or white eggs. So we can totally not care about that myth. Wow, plot twist. Right? I would always go for the brown eggs just thinking, oh, they must be somehow healthier than brown. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I thought there was like a price difference on the brown ones because they were healthier. Huh. Right? And one of the things that I found the most fascinating is that chickens actually have earlobes. What? And their earlobes determine the color of the eggs that they have. Oh, my God. So red earlobes mean brown eggs, white earlobes mean white eggs, and they can have blue earlobes, which means that they'll totally lay blue eggs. Like, my mind is totally blown. Like, I've never even seen a blue egg. You have my permission to stop and Google chicken earlobes because it will literally change your life. Go on. I see you. Give it a click. So just like you, I could probably sit here all day and just Google chicken earlobes, but we've got to move on and think beyond egg color and earlobes and really figure out how these things are made. Our producer, Anna Parsons, spoke with Rachel Jeskin, the executive director of World Compassion and Farming over Skype, about why it's so important for us to think beyond the cheapest carton, to think beyond the color, and how to pick the most humane option, despite all of those messages that the food industry is trying to send you every single day. Hi, Rachel. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Anna. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. So, Rachel, I'm going to kick things off with a somewhat cynical question. Is it really possible for farming to become sustainable on a mass level? I mean, we love to eat meat and eggs and dairy, and we eat a lot of it. You know, I do. I'm very optimistic about it, and I actually think that we can see an end to factory farming within our lifetimes. And I think it's something that's actually imperative for us to get to for the future of of the planet, for the future of the people that live on the planet, and for, for the animals. Consumers are now holding companies accountable 
um, for how they're how they're treating animals in their supply chain. So since the sponsor of today's episode is Vital Farms and they produce humane pasture-based eggs, I guess we could go ahead and start with eggs up top. Um, what do you think about the term cage-free? I, I see it everywhere. Yes. Well, cage-free for eggs is a meaningful improvement over conventional egg systems. Now, we don't think that cage-free is the end goal. So we have in the U.S. a laying flock size of over 300 million birds. Um, That's how many laying hens are, are in our system every year. And up until recently, the majority of those hens were kept in battery cages. And battery cages are very small wire cages where hens have less than an iPad surface worth of space for them to stand on. So they're very, very close to other hens within these cages. And what you have then is a system where where hens can't open their wings, they can't turn around, they can't exhibit any kind of natural behaviors. So cage-free is a meaningful step Um, It does not, however, mean that a hen has access to the outside and the grass and the sunshine and is able to to forage. Um, So it definitely does not mean that it's a pasture-based system. Cage-free usually means that hens are kept indoors. Oh, yeah. I think that when a lot of people see the term cage-free, they just assume that they're kept outdoors. Yikes. If you are looking for um, eggs that where the hens do have access to the outdoors, the best way to go about doing that is to look for third-party animal welfare certification, like animal welfare approved. That does require that hens have access to the outdoors. Um, If you can't find a certification on a product, if you look for a phrase like pasture raised, that does mean that the hens do have access to the outdoors. Free range is also another uh, labeling claim to look for. It's it's not as good as pasture-raised because it just means the hens have access to the outdoors. And sometimes they don't have much access or the space outside the barn is not very big. So really the best to look for is, is the pasture-raised. It's really a testament to the food industry that they have to call out that they're pasture-raised because that's really how it should be. But um, let's go back to the certifications. Which ones are legit? What should we be looking for? The, the top three certifications for eggs are Animal Welfare Approved, Global Animal Partnership, and Certified Humane. So why is it that food products with these certifications are typically more expensive? Uh, I know that cost is a concern for a lot of our audience. Can you explain why they demand a higher cost? Yes. A lot of these products, um, egg products included, that have higher welfare claims like pasture-raised or are third-party certified do command a much higher price at the stores. And that is for two reasons. One is these systems look very different from a conventional system. So in a traditional system, you can have thousands of hens in one barn within cages altogether, which the industry has done in order to make the systems, quote unquote, more, more efficient. So if you're taking the hens out of the cages, especially if you're moving them more towards a pasture-based system, um, that is going to require more space and more more resources, but also requires more management uh, on the farm level. level. You're going to have to have people who are more involved in the husbandry and looking at the welfare of the animals. So it is inherently going to be a costlier system. 
However, the price differential right now can look more extreme than I think it will in the future. And that's because as we scale up that higher welfare production, the price differential is going to narrow. So it's not just like purely resource-based. It's also based on competition and mar- exactly. market saturation. Exactly. I do think we're going to see the price of those, those higher welfare products come down more and more. Oh, okay. So finally, some good news. Um, but when we're shopping, is there anything else that stands out in your mind as being, well, um, bullshit? Yes. For when you are, if, if you eat chicken, chicken meat, mm-hmm. and if you see on the label, it says hormone free, that is completely meaningless mm. because it's actually against the law to give meat chickens artificial or added hormones. Uh, it's not true for, for antibiotics. Chickens are often given antibiotics, but they are not given hormones. So that is to look at. I think for. I've fallen for that before. I got to say. It's very confusing to be able to sift through all these things. And antibiotics and hormones can often get lumped together. So that's why you often see no added antibiotics and no, no added hormones together. But that no added hormones claim for chickens and actually for, for pork products as well uh, is meaningless because it is illegal to give, to give those to give pigs and chickens added hormones. The antibiotic claim is, is meaningful. What about cows or ducks or geese or things like that? Yeah, so other animals like cows um, can be given artificial growth hormones. So that that is meaningful to look out for. Why the divide? Why are some allowed and some others are not? Well, the reason why cows are often given, like dairy cows, uh, can be given growth hormones because that increases their production of milk. For meat chickens or broiler chickens, other things have been done to make them more productive. And that is through selective breeding of, of chickens. So chickens are bred now to grow extremely big, extremely fast, which has really negative uh, repercussions for, for the welfare of, of the animal. Mm. Uh, so growth hormones are not used, but we achieve this maximum growth and maximum production. And we prioritize things like really big breasts on the chicken because that right. is yeah. the premium yeah. piece of meat on a chicken. So we're still achieving that through, through different means. And while we're on the topic of, of sad things, mm-hmm. um, is there anything that comes to mind that's just like egregiously bad, just like things that you can't believe are still in practice today? Some of the worst practices in the food industry are without a doubt, number one, cage and crate confinement. It blows my mind that in 2018, we are still keeping millions of animals confined in cage and crate systems. and. We have cage usage throughout the egg industry. Laying hens are oftentimes kept in cages. And we also see that in the pork industry as well with mother pigs. Mother pigs are kept in crates for the majority of their lives. And these are all sentient beings that, that feel pain and they have the capacity to, to suffer. And we are keeping them in these in these tiny crate boxes that are barely larger than their bodies, and they they can't turn around. That is one of the most surprising things that we still have cage and crate confinement in 2018. It it is very sad in a way, but I think it's really necessary for Americans, for consumers, to know what's going on in, in the meat industry. And where our food comes from, because if we don't, if we don't have that knowledge and understanding, 
of how our food gets onto our plate, then we're not in a position to be able to voice what our expectations are and where we want to move to. Every single company is paying attention to their customers, right. to consumers right now. Right. Okay, so if consumers have so much power, it'd probably be good for our audience to know what they could actually do to change things. Continue to use your voice and make sure that the, one of the fastest ways to achieve change in the food system is to let companies know what you expect of them. So one of the easiest things to do is to vote with your dollar. Use, use our food buying guide and use that to choose higher welfare products. That's great advice. Thank you. So, so going back to the entire issue behind like pricing and making, um, you know, these better products more affordable. What do you say to friends of yours who are on a budget, want to save money, and they just want to choose the cheapest option in the grocery store? I would say that this should not come down to what individuals can't afford. And that's, I'm going to go back to the responsibility of food companies, because it should not be that anybody has to choose an option that equates to cruelty. Cruelty should not be an option for anybody. So it's really essential that we that we shift the entire food system away, away from those practices. Oh, well, hopefully people take some of your advice and, you know, move forward and make better choices. Yeah. Consumers' voices do make a big difference. Our voices are our dollars, or our dollars are our voices. Not quite sure how to phrase that, but yeah, vote with your dollar. Vote with your dollar. There is nothing more powerful than that. Well, thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you, Anna. It was a pleasure talking to you today. So everyone knows that I'm a huge animal lover myself, and it's really hard to hear that animals are still suffering in 2018. But on the flip side, I need to hear about it, since like Rachel says, the only way to change things is to vote with our dollar. Yeah, no, it's crazy. I, you know, I think a lot about food, but I definitely don't think a lot about what goes into it. I mean, it's uncomfortable, but it's eye-opening. It's important to know. So I, for one, had no idea that K-tree hens were actually kept indoors, which is totally unnatural. No, I had no idea either. It seems like kind of deceptive advertising. <laughs> definitely. But on a positive note, it's really awesome to know that you can actually find more humane options like pasture-raised in grocery stores. Heck yeah. And so at Bustle, we get a lot of fun, weird food coming from different companies to our office. So I would love to know, Emma, what are some of the wackiest things that have come past your desk? Uh, I think some of the wackiest things, I will say a lot of weird pickle-flavored stuff has hit us this year, like pickle-flavored chicken. That's and like thing. Yeah, they're like pickle ice creams. Um, a lot of like weird, like, this is a mystery flavor. You have to guess what it is. And apparently we're all very bad at guessing. Um, some weird, like, you know, like alcohol hybrids, like that emotionally confused a lot of people. <laughs> but I know a lot of other editors have gotten some weird stuff too. So we went around and asked them about it. Like water wine, I think was the pitch. And so the idea was like, it's low calorie. It's not alcoholic, but it still tastes like wine. But that's not true because it tasted like watery Robitussin. It was an extremely rare plum from a part of France that was delivered to me in a tiny dish, two inches wide. It's a lemonade mix with a base of mushrooms. And I don't know how the two of those things combine to make anything that tastes like lemonade. Lentil chips and 
brown rice chips that are both inexplicably cranberry flavored. It's supposed to make you just, you know, detox and no bloating and all of these things. And it's vegan and paleo, so. And one of them had a really beefy aftertaste. Needless to say, they were, they were honestly both horrible. Another person who gets a lot of weird food at the Bustle office is Tanya, our lifestyle editor. So Tanya, what's some of the crazy things that have come by your desk? Well, uh, I would say the weirdest thing I've ever received, and I mean weird in the best way possible, it was a giant lollipop that was actually designed in the image of my face. So it was a little bit terrifying when I first saw it because I was like, oh, wait, is this lollipop me? But it was. And do you eat your face? Is that the mission? So that, yes, but that just felt a little bit wrong. Yeah. So now she lives at my desk and watches over it when I'm not there, you know? Kind of fun to have a lollipop in your likeness. Yeah. I think like we lean into the weird here at Bustle. Absolutely. So, of course, we just like came in here talking about lollipops shaped like your face. Of course, that's what I love to talk about. But let's introduce yourself to our lovely Bustle Huddle audience. I would love to introduce myself. Uh, My name is Tanya Garamani. I am one of the associate lifestyle editors here at Bustle. I not only cover food and how it affects like our health and our mood, but I also cover it in uh, the way that it affects our lives. I love it. And so we know that you and Emma are like our food goddesses, but there's a big difference between the two of you. So what's that? Well, uh, I am actually gluten-free. I am kind of allergic to it, so I try to stay away from it as much as I can. Sometimes, you know, pasta beckons, but uh, for the most part, uh, I'm very, very interested in wellness trends and how like the more natural my food the better I'm interested in so uh, I really wanted to get the scoop on what exactly you know some of those terms that you see in health food stores and stuff mean like what does it mean if something is 100% natural what am I actually buying On that note, uh, I really wanted to speak to Bonnie Patton. She is the executive director of Truth in Advertising, or TINA. Her whole mission is to hold companies accountable for the claims that they make about their products. Thank you so much for being with us today, Bonnie. So excited to talk to you. First off, can you tell us a little bit about what you do? So Truth in Advertising, or TINA.org, is a nonprofit consumer advocacy organization that works to out deceptive marketing. And we do that in a variety of ways. We have writers here who write articles and alerts for our website and social media pages. And then we have attorneys who file complaints with state and federal agencies when we come across deceptive advertising that needs to be dealt with at Mm -hmm. that level. There are a lot of deceptive practices used to target millennials, especially millennial women, it seems. Um, What are some of the biggest that you've been seeing recently? Oh, wow. Well, that's a a huge area of focus. (laughs) So we see everything from social media influencers, advertising on Instagram or or other social media platforms without clearly and conspicuously disclosing to their followers that that beautiful picture uh, is really an ad. You see cosmetic companies 
using meaningless terminology or other claims like, you know, cures wrinkles that (laughs) they can't back up. So the list really goes on and on. So what are some of the meaningless terms that you just mentioned when it comes to food marketing in particular? Sure. So some of the, you know, more common ones that you'll see are, you know, green, Mm -hmm. natural, light, low fat, low sugar, locally produced humane, grass-fed, cage-free, free-range. I mean, all of those are terms that are are used to appeal to consumers and really are absolutely meaningless from a legal standpoint. Right. I find the term natural in particular to be very confusing because what does that even mean when you say natural? A lot of things can be natural, but it seems like the connotation they're trying to get at is organic, healthy. Right. Well, you know, you're in a a large company in being confused. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's because the FDA keeps saying that it's working on a uh, definition of that term natural, but to date, there's nothing out there to define it. So it allows marketers to slap that label on just about anything. They're not, you know, putting a little asterisk mm-hmm. that you can then turn it over and say, this is how we define natural. And as consumers, we all think of that term very differently. Some people might think, well, if it's natural, then you can't have a GMO right. in it. Others may not think that. Uh, So tell us your thoughts on the new wave of mushroom teas and adaptogens and other products that we've been seeing becoming popular now, especially with millennials. Right. So, you know, I think that um, the best thing to do is always trust but verify, Mm -hmm. especially if it's really a disease treatment claim, right? So it's something that they're saying can help with infertility or lower inflammation, you know, fight insomnia, anything like that. You need to be really cautious because if that product could really treat a disease, then it would be considered a drug and pursuant to FDA law, it would have to go through rigorous testing and approval um, to be uh, approved as a drug by the FDA. So while Um, You know, these teas and and, and other products can make what's called structure function claims, you know, like calcium strengthens bones or things along those natures. When you see companies sort of pushing the limit of their marketing to really move into disease treatment claims, I think that consumers really need to be cautious about that. It's even hard to do your own research these days. If you find medical studies, you have to even think about who sponsored certain studies to get the results that they're reporting. Oh, you're so right. And, you know, we see this all the time. In fact, there's a case going on right now with a supplement called Prevagen Mm -hmm. that I'm sure many people have seen TV commercials about that basically markets itself as being a clinically proven supplement to improve memory. Uh, When the clinical testing was sponsored by the company itself, and there's huge flaws in the study. So what does clinically proven actually mean? 
I think clinically proven for many uh, marketing companies could mean one thing. And then in, in more rigorous scientific or educational communities could really mean something else. But I think when you're looking for, you know, the gold standard of clinical trials, you know, what people are looking for is something that is, you know, large sampling sized, uh, controlled, placebo controlled, double blind studies, and that's tested on humans. And I think if you can check all those boxes, then, you know, you probably have the start of good results. Uh, So how do you recommend that we actually verify claims from products that we're confused about other than going to our healthcare provider? What we do at Tina.org a lot is we reach out to the company and said, okay, give us the study or, you know, show us what you've got. Mm -hmm. And it's surprising how many times the company will just blow us off, which obviously is a huge red flag, right? And this isn't something that we see with just, you know, small companies, but, you know, we've also seen this with big companies and whether it's very small sample sizes or they play fast and loose with the numbers, Mm -hmm. it is hard for consumers to know. Uh, So tell us about some of the work that Tina has done to take down these superfood claims. Uh, Maybe the one that rhymes with moop recently? (laughs) Right. So yeah, Tina went after Gwyneth Paltrow's uh, Goop company. We were able to catalog more than 50 products being marketed on the Goop website that were making either expressly or implicitly disease treatment claims without any appropriate substantiation to back them up. Mm -hmm. And Goop really didn't want to take down those claims. So we ended up filing an action with a group of California district attorney's offices who then fine goop and entered into a consent order that now requires goop to ensure that whenever they make a health claim that they've got the science to back it up. And it's like, as a consumer, it can make you feel kind of betrayed, you know, reading something from a site that you trust claiming that this, you know, supplement or this food will have some great benefit to your health and then only to find out that it was a marketing ploy. Like, it can make you feel extremely betrayed. What can the average consumer do to take action? Well, if a consumer uh, sees a product being inappropriately or deceptively marketed, there's a, a variety of things they can do. One is they can definitely go to tina.org and file a complaint with us for us to look into it and publicize it to educate other consumers about that issue. Complaints can be filed with the FDA, the FTC, with your state and local consumer agencies. Many consumers nowadays are also taking to social media, Twitter or Facebook or Instagram to sort of express their concerns. Mm -hmm. And then that can be beneficial to their friends and family. Right. These days, everyone has a platform to speak up and make a difference. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, Yes, indeed. And on Tina's website, uh, you also have the class action tracker. Can you tell me a little bit about how that could be a beneficial tool? Sure. So we call it CAT for short. (laughs) Um, And Basically, what we try and do is track every federal class action lawsuit 
that's alleging deceptive marketing or false advertising. And we are tracking thousands of those lawsuits. And consumers can use them to see if they may benefit from a settlement um, in those cases. Um, And we usually will give a link so that you could file a claim or be able to contact the plaintiff's attorneys. And additionally, um, we see a a lot of people using them to see trends, such Mm -hmm. as things as we know that all natural lawsuits are a trend, and we can tell from this that, you know, the VAT majority of those kind of lawsuits are found in food and drink industry kind of thing. Mm. So it all goes back to more research needing to be done and a actual definition for these throwaway terms needing to be created. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Thank you so much, Bonnie. It's good to know that we can't trust anything anymore. (laughs) Sad to say, but basically true in some of these issues. Yes, indeed. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much. Okay. My pleasure. Thanks so much to Bonnie and Tanya for that great interview. Be sure to check out Truth in Advertising's website, tina.org. It's informative and also kind of hilarious. I recommend looking at their wall of shame for sure. And before I forget, thank you, Emma, for joining me on today's episode. Thanks so much for having me. Always happy to talk about eggs. Mm -hmm. I learned so much from your weekend eating (laughs) routine that I am totally going to recreate your weekend menu for myself. So you're going to have to email that to me. Oh my gosh, I'm so honored. You're going to have the time of your life. Please keep me updated on all of your emotions while it's happening. I'm going to Instagram every delicious moment. Oh, I can't wait. Please, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and leave a review. We would love to hear from you and get your feedback. This episode was produced by Julia Hsu, Michaela Heck, and Anna Parsons. I'm your host, Jada Gomez, and I will see you next time. When you're buying eggs, what do you look for? Well, I consider whether or not I'm ovulating. <laughs> Honestly, you can't part, use any of that.